All right. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the LGD podcast for the first time in, I don't know, when, when did we do the last one? A year ago? Something like that? It's been a while. It's been quite some time and, and uh, a bit of an adventurous year. But we've got a new format for the podcast this year and a, a new group of folks who are helping us out. Um, there we got. There are four of us on the call. It is me, uh, your commissioner, or, or you're now co-commissioner. Unfortunately, my my co-commissioner is not here with me, and instead, uh, we've got Chris Schutzer, uh, Michael Becker, and Sean Crean all joining me today. And I think the plan going forward is going to be for some combination of the four of us to continue to record these on a pretty regular basis. Try to get one out, you know, as close to every week as possible. And I think with four of us working on this. We should be able to get two or three or all four of us together, you know, with some regularity here. So I'm excited about this. Uh, I think this is going to be great. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Uh, and so I think what we're going to do, uh, just to kick us off here, um, you know, Chris is going to talk to Sean and uh, Mr. Becker here about their uh, the 2020 season a little bit and uh, the, the championship matchup that the two of them uh, faced off in. So, Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you right now. Sounds good. I mean, I'm, I'm psyched to run this uh, with you guys uh, for the foreseeable future. I think this is a great group. It was actually completely by accident that we ended up with last year's uh, I'm quote, I'm using quotation marks here, air quotation marks that none of you can see um, uh, ghost season that we have both Sean and Becker here. Uh, and I figured it would actually be a great place to start just with how they're feeling about um, how that ended up and, and whether that's actually in the record books at all. So Sean, are you our reigning champ? Did you bristle at all about this whole draft order thing and not getting to pick first out of tradition? Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I, I kind of had come to terms with it. Clearly Ian didn't even include me in the hall of champions, which I felt a little sad about. I don't know where our hall of champions is by the way, but um, you know, I, I feel like a champion, maybe put an asterisk or, or a half champion, however you want to think of it. But uh you know, I know Becker took it seriously. You took it seriously, Chris. I think, Star, you, you certainly took it seriously. I mean, one thing I was noticing uh, when I was, like, going through old transactions is, like, we all had, like, a ton of free agent pickups this past year. And that was one of the things about 2020 I really enjoyed. I remember at the beginning thinking, oh, we should just use our old system of having a budget and, like, not letting people churn through players. But especially with the depth of the league, I felt like it actually – it was still really challenging, but it was just kind of cool to see how much we all engaged with the waiver wire and, and you know, just was, were looking for that gold. And, I mean, Chris, you got Randy our, – our, I always mess up how to say his name – um off the waiver wire, right? Wait, no, you no, Star? I had it. That was Star. Yeah. I, I actually, like, it would be kind of Wait, fun to – Oh, you had at. Cronenworth. Sorry. Yeah, I had Devin Williams and Cronenworth. And Devin Williams, I liked him so much I couldn't say goodbye, and I drafted him in the, in the double A. <laughs> and why I ended up with a Rose, I think that had a, that had a hand in how I ended up with, or why I ended up with a Rosarina again too. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I, but uh, yeah, you know, Sean, I, I, you make a really good point about the differences between the average season where, you know, we've got this uh, budget for free agency where you really have to be careful over the course of the season and leave yourself enough money out of the draft. It really was a different animal, but it, it definitely opened things up. Who were some of the top guys that you remember picking up? Uh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, uh, I have to go back and look. There was no one like there was no one like Randy or Cronenworth. I remember looking at Cronenworth and be like, "Oh man, Chris probably wishes he could HGH that guy now." But there's a little bit of of uh, deflation now in his value, it seems, in like the the preseason rankings. But I don't know. Like I feel like 
I had a pretty solid team, and I think I just did more platoon matchups, more streaming of random guys for, for pitching matchups. That's one thing that I, I'm glad we don't allow in a normal season is like, oh, this, this pitcher is garbage, but like he's got like the easiest lineup and like in a good home park, and so I'll just roll the dice on him. Um, Becker, who is your favorite pickup? My favorite pickups were the minor league guys that I already had on the team. So I think Dom Smith provided a lot of value. Alec Bohm provided quite a bit of value. I got a bunch of home runs out of Bobby Dahlbeck there. Uh, but you may not remember your pickups, but I vividly remember the guys that crushed me in the finals. That was Zach Allen. Uh, just threw a gem, I think, on a Wednesday night when I was uh, thinking that I had the Ghost Championship won. And I remember a Christian Vasquez home run maybe and throwing out my hands and saying like, oh my God, this guy. So yeah, I, I think... I'm very curious uh, how many people took it seriously. I know I did for a couple of reasons. One, just from a mental health perspective, this is what I need. I needed something to focus on and get my mind back into some normalcy. Uh, but then I get, being a new member of the league, it was fun to have a taste of success. And I had, I had finished in dead last the first two years, uh, partially by design, but also because I had some dog shit teams and so this was a little bit of confidence that I knew what I was doing. I knew how to pick decent players. I knew how to win within the rules. And that was satisfying. And I think that's, it's, last year may have been a ghost season, but it's going to keep me engaged. Well, yeah, I'm glad you said. No, Sorry, you should, I, you, you I remember, I, remember uh, I think I flew out for your first auction. That was like, one of my only live auctions in person in recent memory. And I remember you looking a little bit dazed and I remember you making a comment, like I thought about just leaving at the lunch break and uh, I'm <laughs> glad you stayed. That's that absolutely uh, true. <laughs> and I think you're, you're like an awesome member of the league now. And like you have a, a clear strategy and uh, you know, maybe at some point later in the season, we can kind of unpack your uh, various ways of like, what the hell is this league that I got myself into? Um, but uh but yeah, and just as a, another preamble, just wanted to say that I'm really excited to be joining you all for this. I feel like with Becker, with his journalism background, star who could easily like be the, the, the lead writer on a lot of these fantasy-focused baseball blogs. And Chris, Chris, who's like an Uber podcaster, also does fantasy football, I understand. Um, I'm excited to, to be doing this with you all. So, But yeah, just I guess the TLDR is, Ian, you're wrong. I am a champion, and I expect some sort of place in the Hall of Champions, even if there's like an asterisk or like a special like side part of the lobby that, that's dedicated to this, this season. I, I, I expect some, some place there. I think I'm still uh, hurting that my Roto Championship just dutted out in the playoffs, Sean, and I, I'm, I'm mad at you, and I, I want you to have – Nothing in any halls because even though the season for me was totally awesome and I really enjoyed it, I, Becker, I just you hit the nail on the head and I gotta I gotta echo it. Like for me, last year in the middle of uh, the pandemic, I needed baseball. Um, the fact that the players and the owners couldn't put it together for as long as they they really struggled to do it just was awful for me. And then when they did, I was uh, like ravenous for it. I was watching, checking whatever I could. Um, so I, I definitely felt what you felt from a mental health perspective and just enjoying it. Um, as for the podcast, you know, folks, you've now heard from from all four of us. I think we're all pretty psyched to be here and 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 do this for you. Um, we're also really eager, and I wanted just to make a, a point of this before we move on to what the meat of what we're going to do today. 
um, to say that we want you to all be a part of it as well. I think the vision for this is that, yeah, the four of us are going to be involved and we may be here, we may not like every given week, um, but some of us, as, as Star said, but we also want to interview all of you. I think um, Becker said it best as we were planning. Um, this is a great way to connect people. And I think if we can make it a little bit uh, easier for us to know each other, uh, just given that we come from such different places and, and, and um, different analytical styles in this game and uh, just enjoy this even further. Um, so I think that's the plan for the cast. Uh, I thought where better to start in terms of the meat than analyze some of the stuff that's happened this off season. Um, and Matt, that means we're turning this on you. Um, I, I, I really have to say, like, if I'm going to make a little joke out of it, you might be the least patient person I know because you just went from a rebuild in uh, 2019 into like a full on push all your chips in, in 2020, uh, like literally over the course of 12 months. Um, what the hell is going on here? Can you walk us through your, <laughs> the, like what you're trying to do? Yeah. So uh, it, we'll, we'll see how smart of an idea this was, but um, so I really, what happened is I was playing around with numbers and projections and like kind of lining up the team. And I looked at my team and how it compared to others. And I was like, huh, you know, if I had a normal amount of cash this year, I might actually be in okay shape. And then like, right, like, right as I was doing this, Mark sent an email that possibly turning to Grom. And I was like, you know, DeGrom is basically the equivalent of like the amount of cash that I would need to have gotten back to normal. Why don't I try to pursue Jacob DeGrom and see what, we, what could happen there? So that never really went anywhere, but that inspired me to then seek out Garrett Cole, who basically served the same purpose. And I was like, all right. So essentially what I, what I did was like, all right, I, look, I actually had my numbers from last year before I made all the trades and bring everything down. And I was like, you know, I could have, a significantly better team for this year than I was set up to have last year and a much better farm system. And I was like, fuck it. You know, it's more fun when you're trying, <laughs> like, why not? And, and if I can, you know, like there are worse guys to acquire uh, than Garrett Cole, who if things go, you know, tits up on me, I can always uh, try to trade Cole away for some prospects again and uh, try again next year or the following year. I don't know. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. We'll see how it, how it plays out. I, oh, I will say one other thing. Uh, the the main reason this all, I mean, the the way that the main reason that this worked out the way it did is is all because of my boy Corbin Burns and and the breakout. If Corbin Burns did not have a breakout, was not projected to be like you know a top twenty starter now, I would have this never would have happened. But like him, that was like the the jolt that my team needed to have a shot. I really want to see what happens with Corbin Burns because like, I feel like every off season, there's one pitcher that has all the helium that, you know, from wh whatever reason. And with Burns, I, I I'm aware he's got two ridiculous pitches. Like, and if he can ever control them with consistency and stop giving up home runs with consistency, like he, he really could be amazing. Um, I'm not, I'm not sold yet. I think the fact that the entire industry has turned on this guy, I, I'm a little worried that he may have a fallback to earth season, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, that, that'll, that'll be an intriguing player to watch for you. I, it, and also just like all the trades you've made with Ray, it's, you've really gone all in, which is pretty fun. Um, yeah. I'm curious, I'm curious a little bit on that, Matt, cause I, I was texting with Ray just like being, as I was saying to him lonely at the top of the draft. And I just said like feeling Randy question mark. And I hadn't texted him in years cause we just haven't talked in a while. And I, I just was meaning to like shoot the shit. And then he like, we were starting talking. I was like, well, Ray, why don't you trade this? Because you don't need Randy right now. He's 26. This is his peak. You should trade him. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll like 
pick luck into this ass backwards. Um, but then you just swooped in and like, we're willing to pay like a, I think a pretty good price. Um, but yeah, how did that happen? Were you talking to him as well? Or did he like reach yeah. out? I'm curious. Well, as soon as he got the number one pick, I was like, Hey, you know, if there's something that, that, that we could work out, I was for basically the same reason. I was like, you know, I don't know that you really need that a Rosarina is like the right fit for your team. So, you know, if you want to trade the pick, I'd be interested. And, that, and then, but then, but then he's like, I don't think I'm going to trade it. And then like a week later, you're like, actually, maybe I am going to trade it. And he got, and he reached back out to me. But I don't know. I think Ray and I needed, for me to do this, I needed a team that was going in the opposite direction. And I basically needed Ray to, you know, eat Cole's contract or to trade me the major league ready prospect that he didn't need. Um, I needed, without Ray, it wouldn't have been possible to do this. Because like Mark, unfortunately or unfortunately, made it pretty clear that he's not completely punting on the season, which is why the DeGrom trade didn't, couldn't, didn't pan out with him. I couldn't get him to eat the money on DeGrom that I would have needed for that to have worked out. All right. Um, well, just before we move off you, I mean, the other major off-season news is not baseball, but it's LDB. Um, and that is that Ian's joining us as co-commissioner. Can you just talk to us a little bit about how you're feeling about that? And obviously you've been commissioner for a long time now. Um, so just, uh, I, I see a lot of positives. Um, just wanted to give you a moment just to talk about that if you want to. I feel great about it. Uh, I'm, you know, I, Ian's been doing, you know, I don't know, probably the lion's share of the work <laughs> in terms of like the, the busy work in terms of that, you know, doing work on adding players to rosters and, and, doing running the draft board and whatnot for years now. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been, it's not been the best of years for a lot of reasons. Um, and he expressed interest in helping out. And I was like, I'd love it. You know, just to have a second, have someone to run decisions past, uh, you know, everything just like, just seemed like a great thing to do and just have a, a second set of opinions on everything before I act. I, I, as, as some of you may know, I have a problem with sometimes acting without thinking. And I think Ian, one of the things that Ian, uh, Ian is here to do is to, to provide, you know, to provide some sort of backstop where I can, or I can react to Ian before I react to everybody. And he can tell me, well, that's a good idea to send to the whole league first. I, I think it's a great pairing. And, you know, we all have had our emotional outbursts in LDB and like, even today we, we can still do it. So, I mean, uh, you know, we take this really seriously and uh, it's, uh, you know, we're all just trying to have fun and, and keep in touch and, and have our friendships now only virtually. But um, no, I think it's, I think it makes a lot of sense. And look, it, we're all involved in helping to manage the league too. So I think that's, what's also cool about it. Is I feel like there's a lot of voices that are, tr you know, trying to make a, a positive difference. And when we disagree on things, you know, we hash it out and, but I'm just, I, I remember Paul emailing saying like his other really intense dynasty league folded, which is sad, but like, you know, we're still going and I think we're going to be stronger for it. So I'm, ex I'm excited to, to get back to it and, and have both of you doing this. So. And for what it's worth, I think some of the creativity that we were forced to have to uh, employ here in this off season, just given the ghost season, I actually think it's good for the league. Um, this, this one round of, uh, rookie drafting that we had to do, I think was really good. Um, yeah. and, and, and having to come together to, to get to a consensus on doing that and then coming up with a fun process, I think, you know, doing something random and fun once every three or four years for this league really does spark interest in a really great way. I remember when we 
uh, got to 16 teams and, and realigned the divisions. That was an incredibly fun process, just the drafting of that. Um, and I really enjoyed bidding for the balls on this one. I like, I, I probably spent more hours thinking about how much uh, money to put into that. Um, three of the four of us bid on the balls. Is, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Um, Becker, you did. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Sean. No, no, no. I, I was going to just say, I think Chris, you bid like you got 5 million and star and I did four or something like that. But yeah, no, Becker, what was your thinking? I spent no time thinking that I would want to purchase balls. Um, I knew that I could use the cash. Uh, I have a decent amount of cash. I think like a hundred and thirty million, uh, but I knew I could use that ten. Uh, I also felt pretty confident in the amount of draft prep that I had done, so I didn't. I didn't necessarily covet Randy Rosarena any more than I did Max Meyer or Jack Leiter or even Elijah Green. So that I knew even at nine before I did a pick swap with Ian that I would be satisfied with somebody. And this draft is always a crapshoot. Maybe less so here where there was clearly someone who can help tomorrow. Uh, but when it comes to, to selecting 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, you never know how it's going to develop. But I felt pretty confident that I would have at least a, a bunch of options without spending any cash. I feel like you did... You, that was very rational and thought out. I, I did not put that much thought into it. I, I, I knew Randy at the top. I did honestly, I'm like a fairly lazy draft prepper. Like I, especially if I'm at the end of the, the draft in the first round, I'll just like look later on to see who I'm going to choose. But um, yeah, for me, it was like, well, I could just cash all this. I, I generally feel pretty comfortable at auction looking for values, like a little bit of extra cash might've helped, but I felt like, what do I think is the average amount that people are going to bid? And I figured everyone would throw a, throw a few million at this. Um, and so that's what I did, just assuming, you know, I'll have the exact same amount of cash as everyone else coming in. I won't be at a competitive disadvantage either way, and I'll have the same odds. And, uh, yeah, I was surprised, Chris, that, that well, three of us and then Jorvi and Ray, and that was it, right, that, that bid on the balls. I got to say, for me, like, I totally misread this. Like, I, I thought that there were going to be at least three teams that would put all 15 in. The, 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 the first one that didn't that stunned me was Mark just because he's so prospect focused. Uh, I thought that that was a slam dunk for him and he didn't bid at all, which I was he, like, yeah, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I, I figured he might talk at the 10 and then trade it for like a third rounder. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. He might try to do. <laughs> I mean, I, I talked, I talked to Mark after, cause I, I, I was, I was curious why he didn't. And I mean, it makes sense. He's had this philosophy and Mark's been the king of trading down and, you know, just like a quantity quantity over like quality in terms of like higher picks. And so he just said like, I didn't value the difference, the chance, the difference between one and 16 enough. And, you know, it wasn't worth spending money on that to him. I think that makes sense. I was doing a totally different mental math, which in retrospect, I probably didn't need to do. Um, and I think you'll all probably make fun of me for drafting Devin Williams with the third pick pretty soon. So why not introduce it now and say this, uh, for me, I, I went into this draft being like, what do I have to spend to get Devin Williams, which I don't think I've ever had such singular focus on, on a prospect, uh, in a draft. And it was because I think he just fits my team mold of all in right now. So I figured if I spent five and was able to get either him or Karen check, um, and, and the, the, the uh, projections like Karen check better, which I'm still a little surprised by, but, um, I, I was like, if I, 
can guarantee that for five and I was willing to spend nine or 10 at auction, there are some savings right there on a guy that's going to impact the team right away. So, you know, high floor, low ceiling. That's not usually my style anymore. It used to be when I first got into LDB, but uh, this season I thought it made a ton of sense just given the high impact of, of Devin Williams. Um, but I probably could have gotten him later than I did. Um, and then I just didn't want to trade down. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but I, I, I really, there were, there was really only one person who came out and said that he just forgot about it and, and meant to pay and didn't. And that was, uh, Peterson, but I was stunned at the amount of teams that just spent zero. So, um, we've prepared a smidgen of a segment. We have not talked in advance about this, but I was curious, uh, to, to, you know, ask each of you and Becker, I'm going to start with you. Who was your favorite pick from a value perspective that went out of these 16? I'm gonna I'm gonna add the wrinkle that you can't pick your own guy. I, I won't pick my own guy. I have I have a couple answers. The first though is Jack Leiter. So Jack Leiter is a guy who I thought could have gone number two. He's gonna be the number one pick in the draft in June. I'm pretty certain, and uh, he he looks to me like a star. So for Nate getting him at uh, six, I guess uh, I thought that was a terrific pick. And then I liked I liked twelve through sixteen a lot. Uh, everyone 12 through 16. So that includes Jordan Lawler, Luis Matos, Robert Hassel, Mick Abel, Heston Kerstad. Those are guys that I had been considering at seven if things had gone a certain way. Uh, so to, to get those types of players at the back end of the draft, I, I thought were tremendous values. Star, how about you, favorite from a value? I think I already know who you're going to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with what Becker said, but I, I thought Hassel in particular was the one that really stood out to me. Um, I had a long talk, talk with Paul about this when he decided not to take Hassel at, uh, where did he pick, 11. And, but I, I, I dug into the Fangraphs numbers, and, I, and Hassel was the only, the only prospect on the Fangraphs list that was not in the top 50 that had a 60-hit, uh, 50-raw power, and 60-speed. As the only guy in the entire on the entire Fangraphs list that had those tools that wasn't in, already in the top fifty, uh, which you know that's that's the kind of guy who I was kind of shocked to see not go higher, and the kind of guy who I thought LDB would clamor over, and yet he fell to the fourteenth pick. Yeah, I mean everything you hear about like a sixty hit tool, like I mean that, I agree with you on that. I I, I can't say I even noticed that um, drafting it further up, but. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about this maybe in a future podcast. I am curious about just like the nature of scouting grades and like maybe if there is there is time for an update in the way we the language that scouts use, especially when you think about the definition of a hit tool, like hand-eye coordination, the, the neurology of like rapid twitch muscles and reaction versus the approach. And so it's interesting for me to see like, you know, you said, I think Jason Dominguez had like a 20 when he was first coming out out of 60 in terms of present value. But um. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, I, I, that was under my radar, but a, a, a 60 hit tool is, is definitely like a great get late in the first round. Um, I can, I can go quickly. I, I like Costell and Kim. Um, you know, I, at, at, earlier on in my research, I, I looked at him for top of the draft at number two. Um, at the end of the day, I, I'm still a little bit uncertain about how that power translates, although they did apparently deaden the ball in Korea this past year. So his 30 plus home runs plus that speed, um, you know, could be more legitimate than than in the years past in terms of translation. It's just it's hard to know. And then I think we talked about this over email. Um, 
you know, there's the playing time concerns as well. Star made the point that, you know, this could work itself out within a year or two. But I think, you know, that that could be a power speed combo in the middle of the infield, um, you know, pretty much fully developed player. So it's really just a gamble on like, what does he look like once he hits the majors? Um, but I think that's a pretty solid value in the middle of the first round for Ryan. Yeah, I, I, I love all your picks. Um, if I had to go by myself, I, I also would have said Hassel. I, ever since I drafted Jesse Winker like seven years ago or whatever it is, uh, I've really bought into the argument that if you have the hit tool, you can develop the power. But if you have the power and not the hit tool, you really can't go the other way around. So right. these, especially if you're you know, a 19-year-old, um, for a guy like that to already have the pitch recognition that he does and to have some speed on top, that was a slam dunk pick in my eyes. The other one that I want to cite that none of you said is Lawler. Um, it really feels like in the last two or three weeks, Lawler has gone from a guy in the draft to, no, he's he's really, really good. Uh, the comps that I'm seeing are Derek Jeter. Uh, somebody said he has a body like Correa. Um, there's obviously a long way to go for this guy, but I think he's going to be a top three pick. He's going to play shortstop and... Uh, you know, some of the top writers are, are really high on him. I thought he would have gone sooner than he did. So uh, at three, if I hadn't gone with Devin Williams, I was probably going to go Lawler or Hassel. And then both of them slipped, I think, to 10 or lower. So um, those were my picks. Uh, and want to pose a question to the group? Yeah. I wanted to uh, get a sense for whether you thought Elijah Green went too high at seven. I mean, I'm ready to go, but if somebody else wants to go first, I've talked the most out of all of us by far. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can jump in. I, I, I think that was a fine pick at seven. I, I, the, the opinions on Elijah Green are a bit all over the place, but uh, I mean, I've seen some people say he's the best amateur in the country. I've seen others say, you know, he'd be a top five, maybe not a slam dunk number one pick this year. I mean, it seems like from a, tool about perspective he was much more exciting than any of the high school guys or any of the high school guys this year and even Lawler you know this is a it, he's a guy who you know power speed hit potentially all of the above like could be very high and I, I I absolutely understand the appeal and if I he was a guy when I was at when I had the 16th pick I was like oh maybe I'll maybe Elijah Green will fall to me but <laughs> it didn't pan out that way in a number of ways but I had I had no problem I think really this, this year, honestly, after I got past like the first two picks, it was kind of like, yeah, who knows? <laughs> there, there were a lot of different ways you could go. John, you want to weigh in on this one? or, or... I, I, I honestly, I don't, have a, I don't have a really educated opinion on Elijah Green. I like his name. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> That's why I chose him. Uh, yeah, I like Green fine. I mean, you want to take a moment and just tell us why you love him? Because clearly you do. I, I like him. I like him. I watched about five minutes of him just hitting tanks as a high school sophomore. Uh, it felt a little predatory to take a, a junior in high school. Um, this is kind of the you farthest. You can talk to Jorvi. That's like very mature, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes, sometimes when you need to break a tie, you just kind of watch a YouTube clip. And, some, and occasionally it's like a grainy backfield in the Dominican Republic. And I think the week before the draft, I might have seen a, a clip on Twitter of him just hitting a bomb at Globe Life Park uh, in some high school showcase or tournament and just looking at the swing and looking at the body. And then you read some of those pieces online that are just slobbering over him. 
And, uh, you know, it just was, was an appealing pick. I considered taking a lot of others, but, you know, figured someone was going to get him, if not me. So get your guy. So, so when your bride-to-be comes in and sees you watching these grainy clips from the Dominican, like, what does she think? So in past drafts, I've actually shown her headshots of three young men. And I've said, Elizabeth, pick one. That's actually how I ended up with Jazz Chisholm. I showed, I showed her Jazz Chisholm, Dustin May, and Cabrian Hayes. And in hindsight, I wish she had landed on Hayes. I'm, I'm going to say that this is her fault, not mine. But uh, I think she chose Jazz for his boyish good looks. Um, and, you know, so she's used to Does it. Does she see the names? Does she see no, the names or just no, the pictures? No, simply headshots. Okay. Simply headshots. Jazz Chisholm is also, also a good name. I said, which, which young man do you like the best? Which little boy should I choose? So one of the things that like, I, I will say, you know, I, Sean, you said at the beginning, like I'm some podcaster. I'm not, I just run one for my fantasy football league, but I am going to bring a little bit of that like media knowledge to this and say, I think that it's really interesting what makes the news in prospect news. Right. Um, and the group think is something that I really hope we delve into a lot uh, on this podcast going forward, because uh, to your point about the grainy videos, that's how I fell in love with Spencer, Spencer Torkelson a long way back as well. Um, but sometimes like these guys are getting the news because there is no news. And sometimes they're getting the news because they're in a huge market. Um, you know, something that's happened in football, which I was talking to a friend of mine, not to make this a football podcast, but just to make a very quick point. For like literally a year, everybody said Justin Fields was going to be the second quarterback taken in this upcoming draft. And all of a sudden now everyone thinks it's going to be Zach Wilson out of BYU. And, and pretty much it's universal that everyone thinks it's Zach Wilson. And the reason that I think Zach Wilson got no coverage is because he went to BYU instead of Ohio State. So the, the, the reason I bring this up is just like, I think the names that we get, the Jason Dominguez is the, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to uh, Maitan. And uh, sometimes we, we, we hear these names because everybody's on the same one. And then the group thing kicks in and you start seeing it on every website. And I just have no clue where to buy in on like, actually that guy is legit and, and this one's not. Um, where, where I go with that is the year of the Cuban uh, pitch uh, prospect where you took Yohan Mankata, number one, I believe. And then I, I think I was number two and I took JP Crawford, which hasn't really worked out, but we'll see. Um, Becker and I were actually talking about him off season, maybe some trades. John, um, but it's then, officially time to say it's no longer a we'll see. It's that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, and then I think, who was it? Was it Resni Castillo at three? And uh, who's the guy in Arizona? Thomas? Tomas. Yasmani Tomas. Yasmani yeah. Tomas. And God, those uh, guys there was another terrible. one, too. Wasn't there somebody else? Wasn't there a fourth one, too? Am, am I, or was that a different There might have been later that? in the draft or something. The, the older guy, the guy who's a little bit older. God, what was his name? He, he got traded around a bunch. He played for the Braves. Well, he never played for anybody. <laughs> um God, what was his name? Oh, I know who you're talking about because he had a again. terrible domestic assault situation as well. Yes, that, that also happened. Well, that, yeah, I mean, you're right, Chris. I mean, I don't know what more to say. I mean, I think that's true. Uh, I feel like it helps to read as many analysts as possible. I mean, to the extent there are that many that you can trust. Um, I also, I'm, I'm laughing at myself here. Like, I remember Brophy taking Shohei Atani in, like, what, second round several years ago, many years ago now. And the next year I was like, oh, I got to get a Japanese pitcher. So I took Shintaro Fujinami, who at the time looked pretty good for a mid-round pick and has just been pretty worthless. 
but uh, that was me like kind of following, you know, okay, this is Brophy's, Brophy's kind of identifying these Japanese pitchers. It, it was Hector, Hector Oliveira, by the way. Yeah. So it was Mercado one, Tomas two, Resni Castillo four, and Oliveira five. And then Aaron Judge went six. So I'm sure everyone's thrilled about that. Resni Castillo is hilarious. He's made $72 million, right? Is this his last year under contract as a AAA player? Uh, no, he, I, think, I think he finished. I think last year. Was, is he I done now? Okay. Uh, I think he's done. done. I think I saw he went to Japan or something to play. But Sean, to your point about the money, right? Like it wasn't just us that got duped. All right, of right. got duped too. Like teams were dishing out like almost a hundred million dollars to each of these guys. Or, or like I just souped Yadier Alvarez. He got a sixty million bonus from the Dodgers, who are you know it was a different regime, but they're not like dumb with their money. And uh, I don't know if he was ever going to make it, but clearly he didn't give a fuck about baseball. Like the guy was just having fun. And he's look, he's made more money from that signing bonus than most of us will make in our lifetimes. And he was 16 years old. It's crazy. We've all just been chasing Puig ever since it happened. I think Puig's been chasing Puig. So, uh, True. yeah. All right. Well, before we move off this, this current draft that just finished and uh, wanted to give anyone a, an opportunity to say people that went too high. Anyone want to jump in on that star? Uh, I mean, I, I, I hate this shit on anyone's individual picks but i'm going to do it uh i i you know i i understand that francisco alvarez is very highly ranked i i have no interest in rostering a teenage catcher prospect unless it's like the last pick of the third round kind of thing it's just the the risk of of that profile is so high and the reward not high enough that it just doesn't yeah. seem worth it i mean i feel like look at francisco mejia who's seemed like was, you know, Alvarez five years ago and what um, what he's amounted to, which is largely nothing. Uh, and it seems like it just seems like a very possible outcome for a pick like that. I, I feel like that was a predictable answer from Star in a, in a good way. I feel like over the years I've learned a lot of, like, commandments and, like, do not from Star, and one of them is, is on the catching prospect. So I, I don't necessarily uh, have a strong feeling on that one. You, you owned your own Devin Williams. I think it makes sense for you, Chris. I, I, and you already said it, you could have probably have traded down and gotten him, but it's also to Becker's point, a lot of owners didn't really see a lot of distinction in these picks. So it's not like you were necessarily going to easily do that. Although there were some moves clearly trading down, but um, I think it makes sense for you. I mean, you've got a deep farm and you've got a sick present team. So like, just do whatever you need, best player available for your team's needs. So, I mean, um, I wouldn't have done it, but you know, that's all I'll say. I don't have any other opinions on any other picks. I mean, I think I agree with Becker and, you know, a lot of these guys could have gone anywhere. I feel I definitely gave up value. Um, I said it right from the start. I actually had worked out a trade to move back uh, until Becker pulled Karen check back. Um, I had a team that was going to pay me a, a few million bucks to move up and I was going to swap down maybe three, four five picks. Uh, I won't out the person right now. Um, but then when Karen check uh, was no longer available, I was like, uh, I don't want to risk this because somebody's, I, I thought somebody else was going to be in on this strategy of get the elite reliever uh, early. So once, once Karen check was out, I was like, is this worth a couple million to me to like lose my guy and then change the strategy altogether? I didn't want to do it. So um, Becker, you want to name anybody? No, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Star. Oh, I want to ask you a quick question. So, so on the, um, on the, you know, as, as someone who drafted Devin Williams third, I was curious to think, to hear what your thoughts, uh, on the Garrett Crochet pick, who, you know, if Garrett Crochet is a reliever, I don't, I, I think he and Devin Williams are in the same class of pitcher. And I think there's also starter potential there. Is Garrett Crochet potentially a better double A pick than Devin Williams? 
very in a vacuum. Oh, I mean, very possibly. Here's the thing about crochet, because I gave him a long look um, as I was planning this all out. And he just has a little too much TJ risk for me based on what happened last year. Um, and I mean, look, the, the reality is when drafting a pitcher, uh, the whole bird in the hand versus bird in the bush, whatever, whatever that thing is, I really think there's value in it. And that's why I think Devin Williams doing what he did last year. I mean, the dude posted a 13.1 P val on the change. That's, that's ridiculous. He had 27 innings that like, wait, go ahead. What he gave up one hit, one hit on that pitch all season. It's, it's, it, 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 like, I don't, I don't sit here and tell you that that's who he's going to be. The risk that I took is that after 27 innings, we don't know what he is, right? Like there, how many times in the last 20 years have we seen a pitcher go on a run like he did for 27 innings and none of us knew his name in advance? It happens every year. Go ahead, Sean. Half of these guys aren't going to work out anyway. And you have a team that's going to compete this year and you have a pretty good chance that this guy's going to be valuable. So like that, that's enough said. I, I, I feel like it makes sense. I think the other thing is just as a Cardinals fan, I found myself watching Devin Williams way more than I probably should have last year. And the, the changeup is just disgusting. Um, there's no pitch I, I enjoyed watching last year more than that pitch. And so sometimes this game is about trying to win and sometimes it's trying to just have fun and, that's a player I wanted to continue to root for uh, and he lined up with my strategy. So I was willing to lose a few million over it. Uh, Becker, did you want to name a player or do you have any thoughts? I do have some thoughts. So if at first instinct, I thought crochet may have been too high. And then I started to think about it and I realized that it might have been a, a sneaky genius selection by Ian in that if you're going to take a guy who's got SP one, SP two upside, you are waiting several years for him to, to achieve that. And chances are good. He's going to, uh, his arm's going to snap off and he's going to be for a I'm sorry, star. Uh, but this is, this is something that Ian, if he chooses to, could get reliever value now. And, and, you know, he would have to start that clock, but there's a chance he can get both, both bites at the apple. He can get crochet as a lights out reliever a la Devin Williams and then if things really turn out nicely, he could be an SP2 in a couple of years. So I, I thought, I, thought you know, I, I could have seen him not being selected, uh, but I have no problems with the in selecting him there. Chris, can I add one more thing on Devin Williams that I read the other day that I thought was hilarious? So somebody uh, on that, on that changeup and what a unique pitch that is somebody went and found the movement on the changeup and what pitch it most closely compares to. And it compares to, I believe it was Ryan Yarbrough's curveball. And Ryan Yarbrough was a left-handed pitcher. Uh, it basically moved like a lefty's curveball from a right-handed from a right-handed pitcher. I mean, I wish everyone could see the smile I have on my face because all I want to say is, right? Like that pitch is so ridiculous. And the, the, again, I'm going to go back to the risk because I need to poke a little fun at myself in case this bottoms up. Uh, the, the reality is like, they may figure it out. It might just be that they, none of the hitters had seen this before and the hitters will adapt. 27 innings is not a large sample size. By the end of this year, this might be a terrible, terrible pick, but we'll see. Um, Anyway, any, any further thoughts on this draft or, you know, I'm watching the shaking of heads. Uh, All right. No, no it was fun. No, it's fun. I'm, I, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we had a, a round. Glad we did it. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think there was maybe more 
quality of talent than I realized at the beginning. Like, you know, at the, when it got to the end, I was like, oh, there's actually a good number of players left. And I was kind of surprised to see how many guys, how many interesting guys were still there at the end. Like, Dane Dunning didn't go. I can't believe Dane Dunning didn't go. I, I was so, I'm still pretty shocked about that. that. That's like the one guy. I'm like, somebody, somebody was going to take Dane Dunning. Now the guy's going to go for like $10 million in the auction. I also feel like a lot of the, the top prospect lists are now like Fangraphs did this. Like they're adding in more guys that they consider 50, right? So they're doing like the top 130. Because, so I think also like just the depth of knowledge that we have and like the ability to work from a longer list is, makes it easier to, to, to even in a, in a season without as much information to do something. So glad we did it. Before we move off prospects completely, Becker, can you, you want to have a Franco moment? Like how excited are you right now? I said in the email, I've forgotten about Wanda Franco. And I don't mean to disparage Wander Franco because I think he's a generational talent and he's going to provide great value to, to the boys. But I drafted him so long ago and there have been just, you know, there's no reason to think of him. Um, so I, maybe, maybe he comes up this year. I, I can't imagine him being on uh, being promoted to my team, but watching that, I will say uh, watching that home run he hit a few days ago, I must have refreshed that on Twitter probably like 15 times. God, it, it was just, it was just such a gorgeous swing. The ball went so far. Uh, everyone was slobbering over him. Uh, so it was, it, it was a nice little reminder on a cold day that like, this is a little, a little toy I have in my toy chest and can kind of play with someday. But today is not that day. You're not going to so, promote him. I, I'm stunned. Like if he, if he gets pulled up and he's mashing, you're, you're going to wait another year. Yeah. Oh yeah, well we we have, have we've, one. we've spoken about this before. Um, you gotta, I, I think. Look, I have not achieved any level of success in this league, but uh, from what I've observed, I think in order to maintain success over a several-year period, you need to exercise a lot of patience, and you need to have a one-year plan, a two-year plan, a three-year plan, a four-year plan, and. I would, if you ask me today, I'd prefer to get Wander Franco age 22 to 26. Um, but then again, he could hit 30 home runs and steal 60 bases and hit a 345 clip. Like, you know, so talk, talk to me on April 20th, whenever, uh, you know, he might first make an appearance and I could be changing my tune, but no, I, I have, I have no designs in bringing him up this year. Yeah, we'll talk at midseason when you're when you're promoting him. Becker, I know we don't know each other that well, but I kind of got the sense when when you were talking and saying I don't think about him, like I I just assume that you're trying to like reverse jinx something, like because if you feel like if you talk about your real excitement too much, that it's going to call the gods down and get injured. So that's how I'm interpreting what you just said. I know you you don't think about him at all and like whatever. He's just this guy, but I see through it. I see through it because we're on Zoom everyone that's listening i'm looking into his eyes i just no i i guarantee i i promise you i promise you i'm being uh real in this and look i mean people get tired of talking about wonder frank look at the prospect <laughs> and no no offense to jared kelnick but there are several lists in which jared kelnick has somehow vaunted wonder franco and yeah you can make you can he justify those guys yeah you can justify that decision but what has wonder franco done to kind of get you off of that uh, top, you know, generational talent, maybe hit a few more ground balls than you would like him to. Okay. I just think like, you know, and I probably share this too, got real excited in 2019 to take the shiny new toy. 
And then since then, I've thought about Marco Luciano. I've thought about Alec Bohm. I've thought about Dom Smith. There are so many like uh, players kind of swimming in my head that, you know, it's nice to know he's there. But I promise you, I have no designs. We'll, we'll talk midseason. We can fire this up again. I look forward to that. I do. Um, and Sean, I, it was a cool uh, reverse jinx on the jinx, which I've now jinxed your reverse jinx. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I hope no, no more jinxing. Healthy. After yeah. I called Framber's injury and the Royce Lewis injury, oh, I'm two God. for two in calling serious injury. I used to have heart palpitations when the HSI, you know, and the annual HSI email would be refreshed and it would come into the inbox. I would just get super nervous. Oh, God. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It, it, like, it, it always comes for your guy, like at least a couple times a season, and you don't want to see it. It's so true. That, 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 that's the thread none of us want. All right. Uh, I know we're trying to keep this roughly tight around 40 or, or 45 minutes so people have a, a good expected listen. I have one final question, uh, unless any of you want to you know, open up another topic, but it looks like there's no uh, DH in the NL this year. Um, any uh, thoughts on that, guys? Because that's, I mean, that was another little toy that we got to play with last year that we're going to lose. Is that official? I don't know that it's official, but it certainly looks like it's going to be very, very, very tough for them to make that change given the bargaining environment is what I'm hearing. So I think at this yeah. point you should start to prepare. Uh, I hope I'm wrong because I actually really enjoyed the DH in the NL last year, but I think we all should be preparing for, for pitchers to hit again for one last season. Star, are you, you hearing anything different? I, are you with me? On no, this? no. That, there was some news this week that basically said it's like off the table, essentially. That, you know, it's, it's, it's a bargaining, it's a collective bargaining issue, and they're not going to talk about it anymore, basically. So it sounds like it's pretty much a done deal. Unfortunately, it's not what I expected. I, th- I thought this was like going to happen almost for sure. And uh, it's kind of a bummer. I hate, I, I hate nothing more than watching pitchers bat. <laughs> So I've come full circle on this. Um, initially, I really liked the National League not having a DH. And I liked it not for seeing pitchers flare all around, uh, but rather the strategic decisions that it caused managers to make. So double switching. Uh, the, I, I liked the idea that the National League was somewhat of a unique beast compared to the American League. And it, it takes you back to a time when they were two separate leagues and they never played and they had separate umpires and separate, separate bargaining agreements. Right. So uh, I appreciated that, but then I saw the DH in the national league last year. I'm like, man, why the hell haven't, uh, as hasn't this happened, you know, 25 years ago, like I'm not going to miss, I'm not going to miss pitchers hitting at all in the little value that I got and kind of the, the tingle that I got seeing a manager make a double switch in the sixth inning is going to be overweighed by say like Dom Smith hitting, you know, 30 home runs and sitting on the bench while his team's in the field. Yeah. As a, as a casual fan of the NL, I, I mostly watched the AL, but um, yeah, I, I was hoping for the DH, you know, from the perspective of like collective bargaining, like Star and I were talking about this before, talking about this before, but clearly this is like a chip that the, that the owners and players are, are playing with. I would be shocked if long-term this doesn't happen, but like, I know that the CBA is coming up. So who, who knows? And I don't know what the latest reporting is on how that's playing into it, but I assume that's what's going on here. Selfishly as a fantasy baseball player, I'm bummed because I just tend to like those kind of like edge, like case players that may kind of not get a full-time spot or then maybe they're a platoon bat. Um, and they'll just get fewer bats in this 
this environment. And that's true. I have a couple of Padres now. I got Hosmer and Will Myers. And like having the DH would just like take away a little bit of the playing time risk for players like that, for example. Um, and there's tons of other guys that are on teams out there. I'm sure you all have some that maybe will get a, few, a fewer bats now. It's true. And actually, yeah. when I view and strategy, uh, Sean, I, I think back to that season where nobody was willing to touch Ortiz. I think it was probably his age 37 or 38 season um, because oh my God, what a season. only, and you were just like, I'm getting this guy for 12 million. Like this is ridiculous. And yeah, it was basically a $50 million I mean, player that we all let happen because we, none of us wanted to play the utility spot. I mean, Ortiz won me the league in his last season. Was that 2016? Like I, I, or David, I got David Ortiz for like 18 million at the auction. And that was like, Without him, I would not have won the league because he was fucking incredible that season. <laughs> incredible player. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of who else. Like, what about the Mets? I mean, like, I, I feel like that hurts Mets batters, right? They have, like, too many yeah. first basemen, kind of too many outfielders, right? Yeah, I, I think the Padres, for I, sure. Yeah, I, I think what we're going to see from the Padres is, like, they're just going to go, like, uh, Dodgers or – Ray style, like, oop, like everyone's platooning except for Machado and Tatis, and like everyone around them, you know, platooning basically, and it's interchangeable. It's kind of what it seems like they're going, they're, they're looking like now without a DH. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't actually, I, I actually think this is, you know, I think Dominic Smith is probably okay. I would be much more worried if I was a Pete Alonso owner because he's the righty, and uh, I don't know. I, I think he and Smith are actually pretty comparable from a true talent perspective. And Smith's a better fielder, and he's a lefty. And you know, if something if, if like Alonzo struggles, he could end up on like the short side of a platoon or something there. Yeah. The other the other one that jumps to my mind is the Reds because they have more outfielders than they should. Uh, and some of them, like I mean, like they've got Akiyama and Senzel who play center. Um, and, I, you know, naturally you would think one of those two would end up on the bench because uh, they have Castellanos and they have Winker. And then they have one other guy who I can't remember, but basically they have four guys that probably should be playing most days. And I worry that Winker will be the guy who really loses at bats there because he's not that, you know, they, they've toyed with him in center from time to time just to keep his bat in the lineup. I, I think they're not going to, they're not going to take Nick Castellanos out of the lineup. So um It'll be interesting to see who loses at bats there, but um, I don't know. To to me, Winker is probably the best overall player of that group, though. I don't know. I, I think Nick Senzel sucks. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not, I'm not much of a believer in Shogo Akiyama either. I don't think like I don't think guys. I don't think players who hit like Nick Senzel and Nick Castellanos are really the ones to worry about here. Yeah, but they still have to play a center fielder. That's that's the concern. So one of them is going to play, um, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. I want to open it up just before we sign off. Any of you have a last question or thought? What do I do with Michael Chavez? He's probably not going to make the Red Sox. He's an S1. Do I just have to drop him? I don't know what to do, guys. Can I get a little help? Does anyone want to trade for him? Who's rebuilding? Yeah. I'll just, that's a want, that's a want ad for the league. If anyone listens, let me know. <laughs> One final thought. Is, 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 I, I know, I know. You teased it earlier, Chris, but um, I really am excited about this podcast in part because it's a way to bring people together. It's a way people to keep people engaged in the league. It's an opportunity for me to talk not only to Star, who I've known for several years, um, but to folks like yourself and Sean and, and um, establish those relationships and become better friends, both in fantasy baseball and real life. So 
I'm, I'm pumped about this and I'm also excited to get uh, other guests on as well. So Mark is, I asked Mark if he will and come on and I think he's going to ask his ethics people at work because he has to clear public speaking. So not to put him on the spot here publicly, hopefully that's not going to get him in trouble, but just so everyone knows. Should I not be wearing my secret service hat right now? <laughs> it, it's interesting, Sean, you, you totally just trumped what I wanted to do, which was, I was like, let's all call out one person that we most want to hear like get on quickly here. Cause I think, you know, I, I Mark, Mark for me, uh, I, I really want him to rename his team, the white walkers, just based on the sheer volume of guys that he's got coming out um, eventually. And he'll overwhelm the league if he can play them all. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe not it's, if you kill the night King, who's the night King. We just have to kill the night King. It's, it's I think done. Mark is the night King. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'm not going to kill Mark. All right. I hear Mark will only make paid appearances on podcasts. So we might have to go <laughs> deep into the LDB funds. um yeah no i I think we want everyone so maybe instead of just picking some people we can we can say definitely everyone um so any final thoughts really excited i this i think this went well i mean i think we're gonna go viral so if everyone could leave a comment uh that's gonna help other listeners find us even those that don't know anything about ldb um give us a five on anchor I think that might be my greatest fear is that other people would listen to be it today. Like, so Chris, I, I was listening to your LTV podcast. Like, what the fuck is that? What, yeah, how does Georgia like let you do that? Like, don't you have children? <laughs> this will definitely come up in somebody's confirmation hearings. <laughs> All right. Uh, Star, you oh, want to I, I think it's a great Yeah, that was a great conversation and uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys in the future and uh you know let's talk again i don't know what next week or something if we can make that happen and this is the outro music guys in case they they don't let us use it just imagine some nice <laughs> outro music <laughs> see you later guys see, that was fun yeah it was really good